0: Hey, before this episode gets started, I'd like to introduce you to an idea that we'll discuss in the podcast while I'm interviewing Melanie. She has a student library set up for her classroom where basically people can donate books for her students to use. And I really enjoyed the idea, so I will be donating All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a book that I had to read in high school that I remember I really enjoyed, and I hope of, some of her students can enjoy it as well. I would like to encourage you at this time, if you have extra finances available, if you'd like to, I will leave a link in the description where you can find her Amazon wish list for her classroom library and you can donate books as well. I encourage you to do so and I hope you support her. Thanks. Welcome to Job Fair Podcast. Today, I have another special guest. We're continuing the teacher series. This is um, an acquaintance of mine, I guess. We haven't talked in a long time, obviously, but another person from my uh, high school. She's two years younger than me, uh, but she also went to GMC, and I just recently found out she was also homeschooled, so she'll have an interesting perspective. Uh, her name's Melanie Beatles, and I'll let her do some further introduction of herself.
1: Hello. Yeah, I um, am in my second year teaching. Uh, my first year, I taught at a private school. Second year, I'm at a public school, and um, I'm really excited to be here and talk about teaching and what it's really like.
0: All righty. And um, so you just got a four-year education degree, or did you get like a different degree and then go take the, uh, what's it called? The gates. The gaze. Gaze.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I got an English education degree um, from UGA and a minor in global health because I wanted extra things to do.
0: <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> If you're comfortable sharing it, I gen- I generally ask people what their pay is just to give people an idea. So, um, if you're comfortable sharing it,
1: yeah, I make uh, thirty six thousand right now, and that's mm-hmm. I. So, UJ like recently did this thing where the double dog program, where you can get your masters within like during your first year. I'm sorry, your senior year, and then your first year of teaching. So last year, I did online classes: two in the fall, two in the spring, two in the summer, both summers, and I finished my master's at the end of this past summer um so pretty much the only way to make more money as a teacher is to work longer or get more degrees so i was like i'm just gonna do this and it was gonna be hard to do it my first year of teaching but there was a, a big group of us that were like doing it together so i felt like i was supported in it
0: all right that's good and then you did say you worked at um public school your first year and then a private school now
1: so vice versa i worked at a a small private christian school my first year which was not what i thought i wanted at all but it ended up being like a really good move especially since i was like also getting my master's Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: and then i during quarantine it was kind of like this crazy situation um got basically within a week inner like Applied and interviewed for the school that I student taught at, which was a Coney County high school and okay. got a
0: job. Yeah. All right, cool. And did you, uh, some of the other people I've talked about has said there's kind of a big discrepancy between public and private school pay, uh, tend to be, which is kind of the opposite in, in my field of engineering. Uh, in engineering, you tend to get paid less if you work for the government, <laughs> but <laughs> in teaching, it seems like you get paid a little bit less when you work private. I'm not sure yeah. about that though. Okay. Yeah.
1: You do. Yeah. You get paid less for private. And that's just because um, private schools are generally, I, I guess maybe it depends on what kind of public school you're at. Like if you're at like Wesleyan, maybe in Atlanta,
0: um, mm-hmm. a very,
1: that's like a, I don't know, some of those schools, like the kids pay like $30,000 a year to go there. So obviously their teachers are going to be paid well. But yeah. like if you're going to a private school or a private school that like Christian school, I mean, generally the, tuition prices are going to be lower and they're going to have a lot of scholarships. And so teachers are like responsible for everything and don't get paid as much, to yeah. be honest. But I mean, it, it's what it, it, the environment is so important to people. So maybe people want that environment more and it's worth the, you know, the sacrifice.
0: Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's probably some, a lot of factors are going to go into that, but my mother, she's a teacher. Um, she worked public her whole career and now she's kind of like semi-retired because she swapped over to private. Yeah. And I think that kind of fuels um, the lower teacher's pay because they're willing to take a lower pay because they're already taking some of their retirement. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of getting paid the same, if not more, by taking less salary and going to private.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's so. It. I think that's another thing is like private, you, I mean, they might match you for, to a certain amount for like retirement. But like teacher yeah. retirement system is obviously like... A much better retirement system to be in like in general the government i feel like gives pretty good retirement with it so it's like
0: yeah that's true that like uh i think teachers are kind of like yeah. the old standard for retirement and and uh insurance and stuff like that
1: <laughs> thank you thank you very much <laughs> no honestly that's a good move so retire and then go into private school smart maybe i'll maybe i'll do that
0: yeah i was gonna say I, i've heard a lot of teachers who do that if they've like taught their whole career uh public school then they'll go private and yeah
1: mm-hmm. There's a lot of older teachers at um, the private school that I worked for. I was the youngest by like 30, 40 years. Like every single person I worked with had a child that was my age or older. And I was like, Hmm. I was much closer in age to the high school students that I was teaching than like my teachers. (laughs) Yeah. It was a very awkward line to be walking. Like, I think in most careers, like young professionals that you're going to talk to, it's like, I mean, I've, I've maybe it just depends on where they're working but where I worked it was like there wasn't many young professionals around me you know
0: Um, yeah same
1: thing I'm doing
0: there's a lot of like career fields I feel like where you can have this big gap especially when you're working government Mm because like I'm working government right now and they had like a long period where they were like a hiring freeze so now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's a lot of young people but there's kind of like a 10-15 year gap you have really old people you Mm -hmm. have pretty young people it's just kind of weird interesting yeah. yeah yeah you walk into the teachers like the teacher's lounge and you're like oh hey uh, oh don't hang <laughs> out with the students <laughs> well
1: I would just sit down lunch, and they would and then they would like talk and then they'd make jokes about things and be like ah oh, you probably don't know and I'm like yeah you're probably right I have no idea what you're talking about because I'm 23 and yeah. <laughs> still in school yeah it was just uh I think that was that was a Coney County or like the public school I'm at now it definitely has like some younger people, but it's just, I think when you get into the education, you see young teachers post on Instagram and they're like, oh, you're like, oh, these, there are young teachers out there, but they never seem to all be at the same, it's not like we're all at the same school hanging out, you know, it's like. A lot of times it's people almost retiring or people with their families. And I think that's just in general, when you get out of college, you're not around people your age. But I definitely felt that at the smaller private school. I mean, everybody was, you know, in their fifties and that's very, it's a different life stage. I felt like I was like working with my parents, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's something to chew on for the listeners. Like if you're thinking about going to teaching, if I mean, if, if you want to teach with a lot of older people, maybe work private yeah. or, you know, uh, but there's also a pay difference there. So there's a lot to consider. So I'm kind of curious for you, what kind of compelled you to enter this career field? Did you know you wanted to be a teacher in high school or?
1: Mm, I denied it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people do when they're in high school because they don't want to imagine like going back or it feels like a, to me, it kind of felt like a like, not, like, a failure, but kind of, like, I wanted to do some big thing, and, like, I had these big dreams of, um, I love to write, and I, like, wrote a letter to the editor one time, and it got published in the the Millageville newspaper, (laughs) big deal, but I was, like, oh, I want to do journalism, and I want to move to New York, and I want (laughs) to have all these, you know, like, I think I really just wanted to matter, and um, my freshman year of college I was just like I was praying about it and I was thinking about it I was like I think that I really know that I just want to be a teacher and I'm like Mm -hmm. saying I want to do journalism more because I because I'm idealizing it rather and I knew like even when I was saying I wanted to do do journalism I was like well when I'm older and I want to retire (laughs) I'll do I'll teach which is like what everybody says and I'm like no actually I think I want to be really good at teaching and like Mm -hmm. invest my time learning about how to become a better teacher rather than just knowing about the English side and then trying to come in and like I don't know like uh, come up with some type of teaching grounds from there and I'm so glad that I studied it in college Mm -hmm. because at UGA at least we have an awesome program and I felt like it opened my eyes to like how much of teaching is an art and it's something that like it's worth to take the time to learn about the theories and to learn about how to become a better teacher, not just know your subject and come back and like try to figure it out. I think it's a much more difficult and much more thoughtful job than people can make it to be. I mean, you can be thoughtless. Like once you get there, you can just talk about your subject, but you can make it something where you're engaging the students differently than other teachers and making them actually work with the material rather than just like lecturing and, um, So yeah, that was a long-winded answer to why I wanted to become a teacher, but I fell in love with it the more classes I took and the more tutoring I did. And I just love, love working with high schoolers. I can't like, I can't even explain it when I work with them. It's like, I just come alive because they're so, they just want someone to listen to them and to care. And it's so easy to do that. And um, yeah, it just feels like a meaningful job. So
0: yeah.
1: Brought
0: me there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll say that um, Major Mac gave a similar answer, and uh, Audrey, for that matter. They, bo- they both said that, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of more of an art. You just learn it by doing a lot, and then also, you know, studying some of the theory of actual teaching. But mm-hmm. uh, doing it a lot kind of helped them. And then I think that's kind of the biggest difference between, like, a college professor And like a K through 12 teacher is I think K through 12, you're focusing more on teaching or how to teach. And then college is like, you just know your subject and you spit it out and, you know, whatever sticks, sticks.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. My dad's a college professor, which Mm -hmm. was part of the reason I was interested in teaching. But I mean, (laughs) he teaches business management and he knows a lot about business and he loves to talk. So he gets discussions, but all the way he teaches is discussions and reading because that's Mm -hmm. how he learns But it's like I try to challenge him with that or even challenge him with grading because it's not like they're sitting down at professor. I mean, maybe they're having like professor conferences about how you grade or whatever. But that was so much of my time was spent learning on about how to like get a student to bite, you know, and to learn in their own way. And also college is a totally different environment than high school. Oh, yeah. High school students don't want to be, I mean, college students don't want to be there either, <laughs> but like, yeah. there's a lot of high school students, I mean, most of my students that I teach now, I have no interest in college, um, or they have an interest in college, and they likely won't, they won't do like a four-year degree or anything like that, um, so it's just a different environment.
0: Yeah, I think in K-12, through 12, you're trying to convince them to latch onto the subject, whereas mm-hmm. in college, you know, even if they're not interested, they have something in the back of their mind saying, oh, I'm paying a lot of money. I need to at least know this well enough to pass the class. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So they already kind of have that motivation. And um, yeah, the teachers don't have to spend as much time focusing on trying to get them to latch onto the subject.
1: Right. Hopefully not. I mean, I'm like trying to convince them. Reading and writing is important. Communicating is important. Mm -hmm. I feel like I say that every single day. (laughs) Like I'm trying to get them to see that what we're doing is valuable life skills, not just like, Diddle out like just doing nothing you
0: know so um. yeah and we'll definitely come back around to that question later I have it written down um so one of the other things I was going to ask you about was oh, man I had a really good question popped into my head uh, I'll find it later it's on the <laughs> <time>. <laughs> yeah. um so talking about your process to becoming a teacher uh, you went through college, you got your 4 degree, and then you even said you got your uh, master's after that. You just finished that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did what you actually went through to get your college degree and everything, did that differ from your expectations at all, or is that pretty much right online?
1: I'm sorry. Can you ask the question again?
0: <laughs> so uh, the process to becoming a teacher, was that pretty much what you expected? Is pretty straightforward, or was it a little different than what you were expecting?
1: yeah I think it was very straightforward I mean like
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're yeah you get the and and also like when you're in the program they at least at my program they they told us exactly like you know this is when to apply and this is when to take the test and I don't think I realized like there was all, like uh, the gaze or whatever like the, I didn't realize that there was other tests or that I was gonna they made us do this thing which I don't even think I think they're taking it away but it's called EdTPA I don't know if you've heard of it yeah. but it's horrible it took hours and hours and hours and now because of corona they're like actually we decided this is a terrible idea and we're like yes it was uh but i had to do like this whole portfolio that took many many days and hours um so So there was like little steps along the way hmm. but that i didn't expect but i mean the professors like led us through that which i'm really grateful i can't imagine doing it on my own
0: um so what exactly is the ETPA? could you go in a little bit more on that
1: yeah so i think they only had it around for like three years to be honest and okay. oh maybe a little bit longer than that yeah. but less than <laughs> but i they basically it was every grade level is different in what they require for english ed you have to show in detail your planning your executing and you're reflecting which is like what all of education is kind of based on is like you plan you hope it goes well you execute it, and then you go back and you look at what you executed. Is it what you wanted? Is it not? And then you plan again. And it's, it's kind of like, ideally, that's how a teacher's brain would work is constantly going through those like three cycles. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the portfolio is in detail your plans. And by in detail, I mean, like, pages and pages and pages and pages like 18 pages of, like planning exactly what you're doing and then execution where you're writing exactly what happened and how many students responded this way and how many re- students responded this way and then you have to film yourself which a lot of teaching education now is like you have to film yourself and then you have to look at your film and say what went well what didn't how you would change it for next time so um but it ended up being like 30 plus pages at the very least and took yeah. many <laughs> many hours but it was mostly a long paper it's like a dissertation so <laughs> okay
0: yeah and that's that's remarkably similar to major Max's process he says after every single day he goes back and thinks about his classes or whatever and sees how each class you know made progress and he basically rewrites his rest lesson plans a little bit every day depending on how the last day went so oh, he, every
1: day yeah i don't know yeah. how people have like very set plans i'm also in my second year, <laughs> so i'm like all over the place a little bit Mm-hmm. um i've never taught a grade or a subject twice
0: okay. so so you basically had to rewrite them anyway
1: <laughs> uh, yeah i'm teaching all new books Any, i'm like teaching books i never read before I, I have to like read it like three weeks before and then i'm like oh and then i'm making plans which i shouldn't be admitting this right now but <laughs> i mean I, I mean that's the reality of mm-hmm. for anybody who's planning on being a teacher the reality is you're not going to be perfect and you're going to want to have every subject known so deeply and every book known so deeply. But like every like you said you talked to Audrey and Adrian and it takes time. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of time to and the more you teach it, I think, the more you see, oh, students really get this normally or they get really excited about this. And then that changes because the students change. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that's part of what makes the job so fun.
0: So Yeah. And that kind of uh I think that kind of plays well into some of my later questions, but there's I think there's a A little bit of a misconception, especially when you're a high schooler. You see teachers and you're like, oh, okay, you teach a class and then you go home, you have fun, you have all the summers off and everything. (laughs) And I I think that's a big misconception there. I mean, I know for a fact, watching my mom, she would take her work home with her and all that. Um, I don't know. Could you go into a little bit more of what I guess a high schooler wouldn't see in a teacher's day?
1: I think that they think like planning is like this chill period for me that I'm just, I get to just do whatever I want. And like, I hear students say, I wish I had a planning period. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wish you did too, but you wouldn't do any work. Like (laughs) I'm sitting here actually spending my entire planning period, like planning and grading. And I think they take all, they think it's so difficult to take all this time to write a paper. And what they don't realize is, is I'm in detailed reading every single one and writing just as much back. And I mean, it is, it's more time consuming than students realize. Um, And also like as a younger person, it's like, I see my friends who are like in the business world or whatever, and it seems like they have a lot more time than I do. And I think Yeah, they don't see that I I do leave the school and I have other priorities and goals and things that I'm interested. It's not just them. It's not just the school. And Mm -hmm. I think also when you're in high school, you're like, you know, you're totally, mine is completely (laughs) in the school and yourself and you don't, you just don't really think much about your teacher. I think only, I think if you have a parent that's a teacher, like you probably Mm -hmm. thought more about, oh, I wonder how my teacher's day is going. Um, Whereas most students, I don't think, are really thinking about my day.
0: <laughs> oh, <it's> yeah.
1: <laughs> or, like, I was in a wreck recently, and then I came to school the day after, or two days after. And, you know, the students aren't thinking, like, oh, Miss Beatles has a concussion right now. She probably is, like, in a lot of pain. Like, you know, you Or, just, or
0: at least she's, like, frazzled or something, you know?
1: Yeah, they're just <laughs> kind of going about their, they're like, oh, I guess I can sleep today. You know, it's more about this morning. But I, I don't really, it's hard to think uh, back on, you know, what they don't see. But, I think that it feels like something that they might not realize. And maybe this is because I'm a younger teacher is that it does feel like kind of like a performance every day. Mm -hmm. And I get nervous to go back to school. Like they get nervous to go back to school because I know I have to stand in front of the class. It's hard. It's like more work for me than it is for them in the sense of like, I'm standing in front of the classroom and leading it. And if I don't, then it's just going to be like, we don't do anything. And that's a lot of pressure every single day. Like they could not do their work in class and like, I would maybe they would just get away with it and it'd be fine like all they're doing is sitting there but like Mm -hmm. I have to if I don't plan anything nothing happens maybe that will go down as years go on but it is stressful a little bit it makes you wake up really early in the morning because you're like oh I have today I have to do something all day and be in front of people and interact and make a lot of decisions so yeah
0: yeah that's a good point. Yeah, if the students, you know, forget to do their homework, you know, maybe they'll get scolded or whatever and they'll be a little bit behind, not something they can't catch up on. But if a teacher, yeah, I mean, you're just like sitting up there and you're like, "Movie?" I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. know. it would be yeah, nervous. The students
1: are like, "Yeah, movie." But you're like, "I did not really do my job today, you know?" So, yeah. But you can have those days
0: too. Now, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier cuz I, I finally remembered what I was thinking of. Yay. But You were talking about how you are kind of reluctant to say you wanted to be a teacher at first. Oh, definitely. And I'm going to attempt to unpack it. I I think that's probably because, you know, up until then you spent your whole life in high school. So in a way you kind of feel like you're just going back.
1: Yes. Yeah. I felt like it was like giving up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And I think students see me too in my job and they think, why would you ever want to be a high school teacher? They tell me that. They're like, I would never want to deal with (laughs) high schoolers. And, um... That's interesting to me. I I think that you just, I think you feel that way a lot when you're in high school, but when you get out, it's like, oh, it's kind of, to me, felt like a safe place to go back to because I knew how school worked really well. And I feel like mm-hmm. also from going from homeschool to being in school, it did make me appreciate my teachers in a different way. I think than other people did because I didn't have that experience until later in life. Like it wasn't just like, totally all all of my memory was being in a classroom not really like i didn't always have that experience so um, yeah but yeah i think a lot of people don't think it's a job for them and then i think they do later in life realize oh that could be an interesting experience or a meaningful experience and it is
0: so yeah and it's i don't know it's uh it's interesting to think about i think people should appreciate teachers more and not just think of it as, like, a, oh, well, they're going back to teaching instead of, like, this or this, you know. Mm-hmm. Because, like, mm-hmm. it's interesting. You can, meet, you can meet a brilliant mind in their field, but they would struggle teaching. Mm. Like, I think a good example, and not to put her down, because I still think she was an excellent teacher. I but already you, know. <laughs> but you kind of noticed it a little bit. But Miss Brown, she was a great yeah. teacher. And you know that she knew math really well.
1: Oh, so well.
0: But sometimes I don't think she got like quite picked up on, on like losing people sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. just because she was so brilliant, you know. Exactly. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said for like someone who learns how to teach really well, you know.
1: Mm. It does. It makes you learn whatever you're teaching way better. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that I love to read. I love to write, and those things come naturally to me. And I think that. Oh, it's so exciting. This is exciting. It's like when you're doing something that you love, you can kind of just get lost in it and not really think about how you're, what are the steps to doing what you love? Well, and like what I've gotten to do with teach is think I read well, because I already know what I'm looking for. Like I already know the symbols I'm looking for, or I already have these patterns in my mind, or I write well because um, someone took the time to constantly go over my writing with me and fix things. And, like, if you don't have that attention or you don't have that, like, I don't know, like, pattern given to you or explicitly explained to you, you might not ever get it. And so it's Mm -hmm. fun to, like, and also if you're good at something, like, even, like, with engineering, maybe you probably feel this way. Like, you you get it, you know, and it's fun Mm -hmm. or whatever, and it feels like this whole world. And then you're, like, why... You now you have to think about why do you get it so easily and how could you break it down and there's like it's kind of a game for me
0: yeah it's like
1: how to, how to break it down you know
0: I get it but why do I get and why isn't Johnny over there not getting it
1: yeah <laughs> and when you love something and you explain it to somebody else and then they finally get it it's like that's a very exciting feeling and I think people mm-hmm. can feel that in any any field there's teachers in every field you know and to some yeah. degree so
0: okay now uh kind of going back into your question, I do remember seeing a lot of people from my high school and um some of my other friends not in my high school, but uh, kind of going into college and they're getting some other degree and then, for lack of a better words, they kind of fall into teaching do you Do you see that a lot with like uh i guess like coworkers or you know other students
1: I actually everyone around me at the school that I'm at like went to u g a for education um okay when I was at the private school, on the other hand, most of them did not have education degrees. So it was a huge difference coming from, like when I was at the private school, I felt like kind of alone in my passion for teaching really well, if that makes sense. Not that they didn't, weren't passionate about it, but it was like very, it wasn't like their priority necessarily. Um, And they were more like falling into it type of people but now the school that I'm at, it feels like everyone I'm surrounded by, I was always passionate about teaching and is really like cares about that, um, which is more like the right culture for me, so.
0: Okay, yeah. And that's not to say that people who, you know, fell into teaching can't be good teachers, they might no, just they realize. yeah. 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 So, um, another question I had was in your college experience, from what I understand, you also do some field work where you go into the classroom and you, you student mm-hmm. teach. Do you yeah. think you got more value out of the student teaching or out of the academia? Or, you know, was it relatively close? I think
1: every single teacher will tell you student teaching. Like, I can't imagine them saying academia. <laughs> Not that academia isn't important. It definitely supported what I was doing in the classroom. But, I mean, until you step into a classroom, you don't know if you want I saw a lot of people quit um, mm-hmm. because they were like, oh, high schoolers are mean. And I'm like, "Did you did you forget high school? Like, people are <laughs> jerks in high school. And you cannot... You know, I think you have to have a certain personality where you're just like, that does not touch me. Like, that's not about me anyways, you know, that's about them. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, definitely student teaching was the, you can't explain to someone how to plan and reflect enough. They have to just start doing it because you have to form habits that are going to become lifelong habits, you know, talking about one thing, doing it is totally different.
0: And you're you're definitely echoing the others that I interviewed. They also said student teaching. Definitely. Um, but uh, one of the other things, I remember Major Max said that um, he thinks that you kind of have to have a personality for it in a way. Like, you can learn to teach, but having a certain personality definitely helps. Helps a you, lot. You have to be a personality kind of like an entertainer. You have to be willing to put yourself out there.
1: Mm-hmm. I think... 100 and I and I just said that earlier too. Like, I have to stand Mm -hmm. in front of the classroom and perform all day, but I love to perform. Like, I liked theater and like it doesn't bother me to be in front of the classroom, but at the same time, like, um, yeah, if you if you don't like being in front of a room, that's it's going to be a difficult job, I think. And and there, but I have a really great friend who teaches in middle school and she is an introvert and normally Mm. would not have liked to be. I think it's very possible to be introverted or to not really like being and be a good teacher in a different way. Cause you're going to meet different students with Mm -hmm. that personality. Like I am going to attract certain students and other students are going to be repelled by me because they don't like my personality for whatever reason. And, and then same, and they're going to be drawn more to a quieter teacher who is more gentle or whatever they need. So I think we need both types of
0: teachers for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so What are the, what would you say are the the best parts of your job, the parts that you love the most, and what would you say are the most difficult parts to enjoy?
1: (laughs) And now you're going to hear the same thing that the two other teachers said. Worst part grading, best part part, students. I mean, everybody's going to say that. To be more, I mean, yeah, to be more specific, I don't think students realize how difficult it is to give a grade, especially when we put so much weight on it in our Mm -hmm. society and Um, it's really hard, especially with English. I think it's so subjective. Um, Mm -hmm. grading in general is extremely subjective. Like I don't care what you teach. You can be subjective because you can choose which things you grade and which things you count and which things you don't and whether or not you give extra credit. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of power to give people. Um, I think you
0: you find out how subjective grading can be with college, (laughs) yes because they they are given so much leeway in college like at least like i think on the k through 12 level like someone's kind of like looking at it and, and like okay that's
1: that's yeah. a weird
0: or you know yeah. whatever <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely and you have parents who are going to like you know email you my students an a student and you're like i don't know your student has a c in my it's class more like a b <laughs> more like a c to B. <laughs> yeah i <laughs> that is the i mean it's just it's the nitty gritty of that. But the fact that I have to give you an A or B and that could determine whether or not you get into the college of your dreams is like the most ridiculous thing to me. Um, It's the worst part about teaching. And the best part is, you know, forming relationships with students and them trusting you and laughing and getting to like, sometimes I just have these moments where I'm teaching and I'm like, I cannot believe this is my job. Like this is, like we're throwing paper balls into the trash can and seeing who can like throw from the end of the wall like you know the who can get it in from the farthest I'm like what am I even (laughs) and what am I doing right now um and why do I get to have like such a cool job you know um I'm so grateful I'm not sitting like I just it's it's the right job for me you know
0: Mm -hmm. and now you've also probably had a very interesting perspective like have you have you been you've been teaching in the classroom I assume but a predominant amount of your career has been during the pandemic So have you been teaching more in the classroom or more online?
1: I'm really lucky. Our school and major Mac too, I think Mm -hmm. Um, our County has been in person the whole time, Okay, Uh, but yeah, (laughs) I I do not. The pandemic has been difficult in, in the way of which like absences don't really matter right now because there's just quarantines all the time. And then students might just not want to come to school because they're nervous and, um, keeping in intu- touch, I teach seniors. So when absences don't matter and you're a senior, you're just not going to come to class. And I have like half the amount of students. But uh, luckily, I did not have to do online teaching for very long. I just had to do it um, in the spring when everything was like shut down. And um, that was definitely a, a weird experience. <laughs>
0: yeah. But
1: I'm grateful I'm young. Like, I think that was a huge advantage. I'm very comfortable because I've taken so many online classes in college that I knew how to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, compared to maybe the private school you were teaching at before, they probably would have struggled with that a lot more.
1: Oh, A lot. I, it was, they had me come in, like teach people how to use Google Classroom. And, and I had never even used Google Classroom before. I was just kind of like be bopping around, pressing buttons. And I'm like, Figuring you know, it it's, yeah, it's natural. It's
0: <laughs> For our it's, generation, it's like we did that our whole lives with, laptops and the internet and stuff
1: exactly very difficult for older teachers i I feel for them a lot in this time
0: now do you think there's something you can draw from the pandemic and doing all this online teaching i mean do you think any of it has value in incorporating and normal times in the future
1: yeah i mean we already our program is really dedicated to like talking about digital tools and like talking about literacy digital literacy not just like you know, books.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So we already were actually kind of talking about that before the pandemic even happened. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, "Whoa!" I, I actually took classes that were do- what kind of digital tools we because in the classroom, which I, by digital tools, I just mean like, like different things that students can use on their computers where you can teach them. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, students are, I still have to remind my seniors title your Google document. You know what I mean? They'll forget. They just won't title it. And then they'll never be able to find it again. And it's interesting, like, it's actually probably good that we're teaching them these skills because if they ever do take an online class or if they ever take a college class, no teacher is going to sit next to them and be like, did you title your Google document? You know what I mean? <laughs> or like, just give them shortcuts of like, some of my students don't know how to copy and paste, you know, <laughs> or like, they don't know how to, it's just like simple things that you think like. Oh, everybody just gets that. And actually a lot of lower level students also are very, are much lower level digitally as well. And in this world is so digital that it's, it's good that we have time in the classroom to teach them that as well. Hmm. So,
0: so I'm kind of curious on your perspective as an English teacher uh, with how everything is digitizing. You know, it used to be like, oh, you should read a book a day. And then people, I feel like when we were younger, were skeptical of reading on the internet because it's like, oh, you don't know if it's true or not. You know, Wikipedia, stuff like that. (laughs) Uh But now I would say we're entering an era where I I still read, you know, physical books a lot, but I also do a lot of my reading online. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, the same amount of trust I have for most books, you know, because I've come to the realization, I'm like, well, anybody could write a book, I guess. I mean, it does get edited, but I'm... You can still pass through a lot of stuff, just like the internet. I guess the internet has a little less filter of it, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I'm curious on your perspective of digitized uh, reading versus reading like uh, a more physical book. Not necessarily physical, but, you know, like an edited, published book.
1: I mean, I read equally online as I do physically as well. I think that's just like where we're at. I mean... I think it just depends on, you know, the source. That's just like such a complicated argument. Mm. You know, every source has their own bias. Even book publishers have their own bias. So um, So, as long as you're reading a wide variety of things, it doesn't matter if you're reading digitally or physically, as long as it's not just like one one echo chamber (laughs) source, which everybody does, but
0: yeah. So is that something that you kind of uh, harp on in your English classes, talking about like how to, even if you're using digitized sources, like how to try and infer, you know, if they have a bias, what their bias might be, try and read other things contradicted or whatnot?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And all of the students, by the time they get to me, are so tired of hearing that sermon that they're just, like, done. You know what I mean? They're like, we get it. Like, we need to read, like, different. (laughs) But then they're like, TikTok. You know what I mean? That's their only source of news. And so it's, like, you can tell somebody that. But, like, most people are lazy. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, like, I have to force them to to read other things um, and hope that they leave and one day, like, oh, I kind of miss reading, like, rich and well-written things rather than just like skimming meaningless stuff you know and you, you just hope they come back to something of meaning but
0: yeah hard to
1: say <laughs> <laughs> you know hard to say
0: also as a, a quick fun question as an English teacher do you have like a favorite book that you read in class
1: oh I love um The Great Gatsby because it's just so beautifully written and um rich full of symbols and it's a fun story the students typically like it um and the 20s are fun but yeah. um also I recently did Tuesdays with Maury and that was a really good oh. one so I actually I read, it, read it yeah I've
0: actually read that book I was I I have some notes written down and at the end well I noticed on Facebook one day I re- I remember it was a while ago but I think I remember you saying something you have a classroom library or something
1: yes mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so I was planning on actually buying and sending a book to you or your classroom uh, when this maybe. is done but at the end, I was going to list some of my favorite books, and Tuesdays with Morrie is actually one of the ones on the list. Well,
1: great, we already read that <laughs> one. <so. laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's a pretty short book, but I think it's an interesting perspective. And oh, then- it's
1: so powerful, and it's really like that was the most meaningful conversations I had with my students. And I read it at the end of the semester, and then they got to write a narrative about their own life, and um, that was the most because I know. I think school can get very like you're just jumping through the hoops and whatever, but I, I really, really want to do meaningful things in my classroom, which is part of the reason I chose English because I feel like it's such an easy Avenue to come to a place where you're talking about meaningful things like life things and perspectives and, you know, bias and racism and, you know, just all these big (laughs) topics. And I'm, I'm Tuesdays with Maury is the perfect book to open up those kinds of conversations and just, challenge like I just love playing the devil's advocate and challenging every single one of them like you know oh you said that but what about (laughs) this you know and just playing around um I want to hear more of your favorite books though
0: okay um so Tuesday the Moria I kind of picked that one out I think that one for me what it does is like I mean death is scary to think about you know that it's inevitable but it's scary to think about and I think that's a it kind of puts in perspective that it's a normal thing and it's okay yeah it just kind of helps normalize it you know and of course just had some good messages in it so one of the things i'll I'll tie this into my high school but in major gable's class we read uh animal farm and Mm -hmm. that opened me up to a a theme of books that i really enjoy i love dystopian books
1: (laughs) yes i love this those are my i love fahrenheit 451 have you read fahrenheit 451
0: I have, I will say, and might point disappoint you, but that's one of my least favorite dystopian novels.
1: <laughs> that's okay, I, it's not for everybody, you know. Yeah. Some people love it. Some people hate it. So
0: I much prefer nineteen eighty four. That's probably um, my favorite one.
1: Nineteen eighty four is wonderful. Um also if you like dystopians, you should read Scythe. It's a okay. new young adult series, but it's a dystopian. I'll send you the name of it too after this. But yeah, um, <laughs> it's it, it's awesome. But it'll make you think. So, hmm.
0: I've also read Brave New World. I didn't like it as much as 1984, but that was written by uh, George know. Orwell's like uh, professor or like uh, kind of mentor. I I was think.
1: George Orwell? Was oh.
0: it? no, I think it was written by his mentor. Huh? Or or George Orwell was the mentor to him. I can't remember.
1: Oh which. Braxton, yes, 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 yes. Arlie. I don't know. I'm I'm in the, I can see the name in my head, but I I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> So that like- was
0: pretty good. It, I like 1984 better, and it's kind of interesting. I had, like, an edited notes version or something like that that my brother let me borrow. Mm-hmm. And in that one, he kind of has a little section in there where he discusses why he disagrees with George Orwell's version of the dystopian future and why he thinks his is more realistic or something. It's just kind of interesting. Oh,
1: interesting. So they're really trying to predict.
0: Yeah. It, well, kind of like trying to predict. Like, obviously, they're dramatizing their predictions. Right. You know, but like the the core essence of what they're predicting, I think they really think is true. Which, you're gonna you know,
1: love you're gonna love Scythe. I'm dead serious because it's uh, about yeah. kind of like the technology taking over, and I, I'm obsessed. Anytime they have like technologies taking over and you you can't think for yourself, and there's like I'm mm-hmm. like that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: and awesome. it's interesting because like 1984 is written, you know, a long time ago, and he's predicting about 1984, and you see a lot of the elements he's talking about. Obviously not to the extent, but you do see the elements. It's interesting.
1: It is very interesting. Uh,
0: Some of the other ones I really enjoy uh, tagging on that is Homage to Catalonia, which is also written by Orwell. And that's kind of more self-biographical about his times where he went and volunteered in the Spanish Civil War. Hmm. And it's really interesting because I think you can kind of see where some of his elements in 1984 come from. By reading some of his life experiences wow
1: that's interesting I haven't even heard of that one
0: so oh yeah that one's a really good one and then um, close to that one is all quiet on the Western Front I like both of those homage to Catalonia and all quiet on the Western Front because I do like reading about war history and stuff, but it's also very realistic you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think all question on the all quiet on the Western Front does a lot of good because you know in, in today's society you just see Germans in war in one either one of the world wars, because a lot of people don't really differentiate between the two, they're like right. bad guys,
1: <laughs> bad guy
0: <laughs> but especially in especially in World War One, like in World War two you can't really argue anything but bad guys, but in World War One, you know you can really argue that they're not necessarily the bad guys, and it gives you an interesting perspective mm. of the average soldier, which just like in any war, may or may not really be fighting for the cause is just kind of fighting because hey, I live here." I, yeah. I guess I'm fighting.
1: <laughs> that is so interesting. I actually I like that you brought up your favorite books. I rarely read war books. My dad loves them. Um I have a lot of students who really like them. Um in like it's just it's so interesting what we're drawn to too in mm. books. And that's why I like I do independent reading with them and like let them kind of read. But I find that a lot of my students want thrillers or like horror stories and I never ever read, hor- like I don't read murder stories very often. So, yeah. And so I have to like get those though and, and learn them. And it's, it's fascinating to hear what people like to read, you know, and what kind of perspectives they're interested in reading about. So. It's cool.
0: Yeah. It's always interesting. And then like, um, uh, it's kind of funny. I feel like you can almost never peg down what someone would be interested in reading.
1: Uh-uh. No. Uh, uh-uh. uh,
0: I have one final book on here that I'll mention too. Okay. I really like this one. It's a very sarcastic and kind of funny book in a way, but you really have to pick up on it. It's Catch-22. I don't know if you've ever read I have read
1: it. One. I have it, but I need to read it. Okay.
0: Oh, that one's great. And okay. then I've also been like trying to dabble in learning German a little bit, and that book has some very like hidden jokes in it, and it's kind of funny because I'm
1: one good. of his
0: drill instructors back in the day, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't know. 'Cause you may not pick up on it, so Yeah. Um,
1: now.
0: One of his drill instructors, his name was General Schwarzkopf or whatever. And he always like made fun of him and called him a shithead. Well, in German, Schwarzkopf or uh Scheisskopf, sorry, Scheisskopf means shithead. <laughs> so that was literally his name in German. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well now I'm excited. Now I have to go pick it up so I remember the joke when I'm reading it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoyed that one. It's got a lot of sarcastic and hidden humor. It's pretty funny. Uh, I'll come back to that at the very end. I got to pick one of these books to send to you. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. You were talking about what things drive you crazy about the career and what things you find rewarding. Mm -hmm. One of the things though, that one of the other teachers mentioned is parents sometimes can be one of those Uh, uh, factors that drives you, um, crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I was curious what your thoughts on our parents, uh, generally are they kind of like in the way a little bit
1: <laughs> um
0: she also taught a lower grade so she probably sees a little yes, bit more of it
1: i the younger students you have the worse you get it with parents first i mean that is a guarantee so i teach seniors and sophomores right now um it it is hilarious when the seniors mom start, tries to get involved because you're like okay you're you're literally an 18 year old like you should maybe handle your own stuff um but like i definitely see more parent emails with um sophomores and I think if you're in a private school too that's something you need to expect is that the parents are going to be more hands-on because Mm -hmm. they are paying for their kids education and they expect a certain grade for their student and they they are not your enemy but it can feel like they're trying to be I feel like you have to yeah sometimes parents just don't know how to communicate with a teacher that yeah that can be a frustrating part and honestly, kind of an intimidating part is somebody who doesn't have kids and who is younger. And then this parent is trying to, like, tell me that I'm doing something wrong or maybe just even implying that I'm doing something wrong. And, yeah, it's hard to explain to them because they don't see how your student act, or how, yeah, how their kid is acting in your classroom. Or, and kids
0: definitely act different in the classroom than at home.
1: And they can be really good liars. Like, I've had students who have gotten multiple lies and their parents just don't see it. And you're like, I have legitimately caught this student lying to me, but you're blind to it still, you know, and and you feel for them. And, and also like just family relationships are so complicated. I just try to stay as far out of that. (laughs) Like, I don't really want to get involved in your, your drama. You know what I mean? Um, I just try to stay very professional and very like distant in that because I don't want to like, yeah, ruffle any feathers, but yeah. The worst thing is trying is telling a parent that their child like plagiarized their entire essay. That's the worst. Like I've had to do that a few times and it's not it's not the call you like to make. That's just say. so.
0: Yeah. OK, so as a, especially as a senior English teacher, do you feel like part of your job is also trying to specifically prepare them for college? Like, do you read a lot of their college essays or anything like that?
1: yeah so we do like i said earlier like the level that i teach um i teach like co-taught classes so i have um kind of like half and half kids with um learning disabilities and so some of them want to go to college a lot of them that's not really like the next step for them necessarily um But I still do with my students, like all of them I do with the seniors, I do a college personal essay. So like I look at what the common app essay prompts are and we write and I give them like tons of options and then they write on one of them and then I look over it and like give them feedback. And I've had a lot of those students use those essays that they wrote in my class with my edits or with my suggestions. They fix their essays again and then they do submit it to college. So try to make it like something that they can actually use and I've been wanting to do something with resumes um because resume writing is still writing and I um have did not do that this last semester um but I was also quarantined for two weeks so all my plans kind of were different (laughs) but hopefully this semester I'll be there the whole semester so I'll be able to do what I want
0: (laughs) resumes are definitely interesting They're, they're like it's a fine line how to like brag about yourself without bragging about yourself and it's just exactly. it's just weird and you don't know how much just dis- how much leeway you have like uh oh i'm proficient in this kind of
1: <laughs> i know how to use google docs what about you oh yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that it's just interesting and then uh i feel like resumes like what's appropriate and what's you know not necessarily applicable is always changing so
1: yeah and also every career is different so it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to give advice with that but i think i want them just to do it to practice yeah um, um so just
0: knowing how to format things like in weird ways can be helpful because so resumes are weird in yeah. their formatting that is weird um so mm, you may not have a good perspective on this i usually ask people how's the field kind of changed over your career but <laughs> i guess a better question would be how do you foresee changes in the career do you see education okay. going more online
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, I don't think anybody has a doubt about that. Like, absolutely. All my, so all my, we're all one to one in my county. So everybody has a Chromebook. Okay. Um, And that already is a huge difference from when I was in high school. I didn't have a laptop until I was in college in high school. And when I was in, you know what I'm saying?
0: Not like a personal laptop. You probably had like one shared with your family or something. No, yeah. We had like a
1: desktop computer, but like Mm. I definitely didn't have a laptop in all of my students, I mean, if they come to school without their Chromebook for that day, they're like screwed. I mean, they have, they can get a loaner, but like they have all of their classes are doing things that are somewhat online. Like they can use their phone, I guess, but I mean, that already is a huge change from five years ago, you know? And so I think it's going to continue in that. Um, Yeah. I'm a little, and how that's going to affect everything else is hard to say. I think that I'm worried about our students' ability to socially interact with each other. That's the biggest thing. I can see that when my students come in the room, they're like all on their phones and they don't talk to each other a lot of times. And it depends on the personality of the kid, but if the kid is already like a little bit shy, then they're gonna use that as a total crutch and not communicate with each other. So I think as we continue just with the way culture is, I mean, you're gonna see a lot of students struggling with you know social anxiety i I feel like that's i deal with that every single day is trying to like kind of break that down a little bit and i I, that was already present because you're a high schooler but Hmm. um i think it's i think technology has made it like harder in some ways
0: that's kind of interesting because i know at gmc obviously we weren't supposed to have our phones out (laughs) at all (laughs) yeah yeah and i think there was a time period even in you know, regular public schools where they tried to, like, you know, don't have your phone out. But, like, I think it just became, like, okay, we cannot control these kids.
1: Uh Uh-uh. It's not even worth it.
0: Yeah. So.
1: Some teachers really are, like, you know, as soon as you walk in, they they have phone pockets and you put your phones in the pocket. It just depends on the teacher a lot of times. But if you're, like, one of the teachers and most teachers don't do that at your school, you are, like, you know, the kids hate you. It's, like, is it worth (laughs) it? Like, I I don't know. Just yeah.
0: It's very interesting. So uh, another question I kind of had was, do you feel like high school students, like their general pressure on them? Do you think that's going upward in trend? <laughs>
1: um, I mean, I think there's already, I feel like there was a lot of pressure. I felt like I, I felt a lot of pressure in high school. <laughs> so I understand my students. And it's interesting because I would talk to people who were like, you know, in their forties or fifties. And I think it wasn't the same. I think that the culture of pressure on your grades is similar to when I was in high school because it was so—it wasn't that long ago. So I feel like I relate to my students. I'm like, I know you have a lot going on right now. Like most of them don't get home till like ten o'clock because they have sport and this other thing, and then their classes all day. And for a high schooler's life is packed most of the time.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I kind of look back on it, and, and I had fun in high school and everything. But I, you know, there were times where I did feel the pressure. And I'm kind of thinking back on it now, I'm like, man, high school is kind of like the last chance you get to just have fun and enjoy being a high schooler. <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and they don't give you any time to do it.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of pressure, especially like if you're trying to do the Zell Miller Scholarship. I know that kind of keeps inching up. Like now they make you take like two or three, maybe AP courses. So
1: Interesting. I didn't even know that.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you have to take two AP courses now. It wasn't that way when I was in high school.
1: Yeah, and that increases the pressure on teachers to give A's, and, like, it increases the pressure. You know, just the more that you increase the standard, it, you're inflating things. People are not actually oh. getting that much smarter or better, I don't think. I think it's just, like, a, it's a little bit artificially inflated.
0: I see exactly what you mean. I think that's the case. I see that in colleges, I feel like. Like, people are paying for it, so there's, like, this fine line. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think college professors are scared to fail people, but... I do think there's kind of like a fine line where they like, you know, I, you know, here's a curve, you can pass or something. I
1: think a lot of college professors are are scared to fail people. I, like talking to my dad, like universities get money by how many people they graduate and pass, and there is pressure on the professors to be easier to pass. So it is. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I kind of agree with you. It is kind of devaluing.
1: And it, and what
0: it, a 4.0 is or what a 3.8 is yeah exactly. and
1: it may and the kids can already see through that like our my high school students are probably the most like I don't want to say uh, nihilistic is not really the right word but they <laughs> kind of are just like everything meaningless and the sense <laughs> of like grades are just fat it's and COVID I think also changed that because when we had the pandemic and then most public schools near the end of spring I don't know how familiar you are with this but like You could raise your grade, but you couldn't drop it from wherever you left off for COVID. So most schools did that. So you would be online, but like most of your students aren't going to continue doing the online work because they're like, oh, I'm just going to keep the grade I already had. So I'm not going to do anything. And when you have high schoolers who experience that and then they have to come back to school and keep doing school when we already said like, oh, when times are tough, nothing matters anymore. Like you don't have to. And I understand why we did what we did. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. But it also communicates, well, like, when their lives are tough, they're like, I'm just going to, you know, why are we even still doing school? It just creates a lot of, like, questions about grades and the kids feel that, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think it definitely exposes that, like, um, the grades definitely aren't objective. Like, if you look at how much, like, that same grade or, you know, the past grade would have learned before the pandemic, they definitely learned more material because there wasn't an interruption there. So theoretically, they would have better grades because they would have learned all the material. But, of course, it's understandable. There was a pandemic.
1: Exactly. It just
0: kind of shows you the the illusion of the complete objectivity. And, and of course, grades aren't objective. No. But it's interesting. Uh, You you realize, especially after college, the main reason you have grades is because college admissions or businesses want something quantifiable and easy to, like, Oh, he's got this number. He's got this number. He's better. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to look into it. College admissions don't want to look into it. They look into it a little bit more, and they're like, "Oh, what sports were you involved in?" But I kind of question if that's just like they just ask that to make you feel like they're looking into you more. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: I always tell my students, I'm like, whenever you're they're writing their college essays, I'm like, "Yo, if there's parts of your like high school career where you just were not." you were just not doing well maybe write a story about like something really bad in your life was happening during those years and like use that to show that you're a fuller person and I think that Mm -hmm. they do read those college essays and and consider like take that into consideration like well I found out my mom had cancer and I had to care for her my sophomore year or whatever the the you know whatever the story Mm -hmm. is I think it does help to like but businesses don't really see that necessarily. But yeah. I mean, I totally agree. People want to look at numbers. They don't want to have to it's too time consuming to look beyond that, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Okay. Yeah, and it's and it's unfortunately ultimately we should want to be just learning and teaching for the sake of learning and teaching, not necessarily to get a certain number right. and get a certain job and blah blah blah. But I mean, it, we have to accept it as part of society people want to look at numbers yeah. and say, like, oh, he did good, he did bad. You know, throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Whatever. you're
1: exactly right. You're exactly right.
0: But I don't know. I'm kind of curious. Do you foresee a future where maybe not done away with, but maybe the grades mean less or no?
1: I would love that future, Cody. I, I really wish. I think educators are. Uh, I don't know how you could do that, though. Like every time we talk about the problem of grades, it's like, well, what, what do you do instead? Um, yeah, we've just business <laughs> that's not a word, but I'm making it a word. We've made education a business and it's, it, since we made it public and in the sense of like, I mean, if you just look into <laughs> it, it looks like a business and, and education naturally isn't, doesn't really work well as like a, it, it's, it's different. Yeah. Um,
0: it's, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. And so when we, when we put numbers and salaries and all of those yeah. things on it, we try to make it look like a business, it like kind of looks like it's working, but it, we measure what we care about. And if we care about like standardized test scores, it's like, is that really measuring education? How do you really measure learning? Like it's just, mm-hmm. we do the best that we can. Um, yeah, and intellect, is, change.
0: and intellect is so complicated and difficult to measure. I mean, the standard testing, that's measuring how much you actively know. It's not measuring how quickly you can learn something. It's not measuring like your, it kind of measures your critical thinking, but not in all aspects. You know, it's definitely just a slice of the pie when it comes to measuring intellect.
1: It's the best we, I think it's the best we can do right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think maybe, I think it would make sense for them to put less weight on grades, but I don't know if that will happen. I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? I'm curious.
0: I think if we start getting less weight on grades, I think it's going to come from the top down, meaning it's going to come from college level. Mm. Because I think colleges could start struggling in the future as people start realizing, I can learn everything from a college online almost. It's just a matter of having a piece of paper that says I know it. So if if there comes some other way to say, hey, this guy knows this, and it's a whole lot cheaper than college... I could see colleges struggling with that. And then it could expose the fact that their GPAs are kind of devalued in a way. It's yeah. so like, hey, he has a 3.8, but I hired this other guy who went to University of Online Alberta <laughs> with 3.5, but he does a better job or something, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's, that's how I could see it coming about. I don't know if it will or not, but that's how I see it coming about. What are you? what's your best approach to getting someone to learn something? Do you think it's more like kind of giving some something and then having them try to figure it out for themselves and then come in and tell them? Or what's your best approach, you think? Or what approach do you like to use?
1: I mean, every subject, I think, has, like, a different answer to that. But I, I think the primary thing is, like, getting the student to work through it on their own. And then instead of just, like, I think like you can just tell a student like, oh, this is how you do this. And it it just means nothing because, you know, when you listen to someone say something, I think it's, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it's like 10%, you know, (laughs) stays in your mind. If you write it down once, it's like 30%. And then if you like actually do it, it's like 90%, you know, it's way more when you have to trudge through it yourself (laughs) so um i just i make my students write a lot like they write a lot of papers and they complain about it but the only way to get better at writing is to write and the only way to get better at reading is to read and then you guide them along the way and you check in and you give them feedback and then they write it again and Mm -hmm. as annoying as that is it's like you're not going to get better at teaching unless you teach You're not going to get better at engineering unless you engineer you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and you do your work so you have to just get the students to actually set aside whatever they're doing and like work, which is the hardest thing to do because a lot most students want to take shortcuts and they don't want to work. So
0: yeah, I completely understand that because in college, like there were some teachers that would give you a problem and you'd have to work it out and figure it out. And then all of a sudden they tell you like, Oh, okay, this is the theorem of so-and-so it's been known for 200 years or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there's some teachers that will just show you the theorem and be like, okay, and this is how they get this. If they just show me the theorem, I will never calculate that. <laughs> and I will probably not understand it nearly as well as if I no. had to do it myself.
1: Exactly. And there's something so much more rewarding when you figured it out, you know? Yeah.
0: And I think there's something in the back of your mind where you, like, know if it's already out there and publishing. You can just look it up and find the, you know, the result that you're looking for every time. You're like, oh, I don't need to learn how to do this. I can just reference that. Right. There's a difference between saying, like, between knowing you can reference something and just understanding something so you can reuse it somewhere else or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And you gain this new understanding of patterns that you can apply to other situations that maybe there isn't a clear answer. And so it's like mm-hmm. so important to force your brain to do that. It's like such good exercise, you know?
0: So Yeah. And I think, especially with English, like just, you know, trying to find, you know, I don't know what specifically you talk about, but symbolisms or metaphors or whatnot, yeah. <laughs> it gets easier once you try and look at that, you know other places and it's interesting because i think a lot of that your symbolisms and metaphors that you find Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is really based on your perspective
1: absolutely yeah absolutely
0: and that's one thing i think that would be interesting to do if you found like a kind of like a mid-level book and you had someone read it as a ninth grader Mm. and then you had them read it as a 12th grader and had them kind of like pull out what they pull out each time and see what they saw differently yeah because i think you could see like different perspectives just on based on you know how much more you've observed and experienced.
1: Absolutely, and it's interesting. Like seeing, I love reading books with my students to see they other things stand out to them than stand out to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'll do this thing where we'll read a few pages, and I'm like, okay, I want you to put your finger on one line that sticks out to you as we're reading these next three pages. Really, because I'm trying to get them to like kind of pay attention, and then they all, you know, and then I'm like, okay, hey, everybody, like do you have your line do you have your line and then we all like go through i go through a line i make them shout out the line that they found that stuck out to them and we we did that with tuesdays with Maury because there's so many powerful you know purposeful meanings and like purposeful lines and um they all shout them out and it's amazing like two or three students will have the same line but then everybody else has got a different one and we only read three pages like it's amazing Hmm. how our brains work and what we what we focus on and then you can use that as a lesson of well it's perspective you know like Mm -hmm. we could all look at the same image and see something different art
0: (laughs) yeah i think that's interesting so um let me see let's make sure i got all the core questions i like making sure i get those (laughs) okay you know what kind of role does this job serve for you specifically do you think you what kind of value do you get out of it obviously it's rewarding to see that Mm -hmm. you know your kids are learning but is there anything i guess specifically in your life
1: i think it working with kids make you makes you reflect on yourself and the way that you think through things and the way that you handle things um because you uh, yeah you have to reflect like I was saying with teaching like you have to reflect like okay I dealt with this situation this way why did I so I feel like for myself I've grown as a person and like I feel more confident in myself and I feel more I think when you're standing in front of a group of people, you kind of are forced by fire to, you know, stand your ground. And yeah, I mean, I I just think personal like growth in general as a, in relationship with other people. And um, I don't think that's maybe true of every teacher, but that that (laughs) is like my experience is I feel like it's taught me a lot about myself.
0: I think teachers are some of the best public speakers just because they have to do it day in, day out. And the people who... (laughs) may or may not want to listen <laughs> yeah they don't they don't want to listen <laughs> no no they don't they don't it's not a may they don't
1: <laughs> they just don't like one percent. <laughs> they're like i love my teacher and they really want to listen but no not the not the average
0: <laughs> do the do the teacher's pets annoy you
1: <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and that is the truth sometimes sometimes you're like oh they're really precious so another times they're like that's not... Uh, most of the time, the teacher's pet is the kid that probably doesn't feel accepted by their peers, which is sweet that they, like, come to you. But then that mm-hmm. also tells you, like, okay, there's a certain type of person that may be a little bit more difficult to, like, love. But it is... It's it's sweet.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got a question for you. So how, how do you, um, I guess, work with students specifically? They're like, I don't see the purpose in this, and... When am I ever going to use this? I'm never going to have to find metaphors or symbolism. Right. What's your approach to those kinds of students?
1: Motivational speech. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, depending on the student, like sometimes there'd be a student has a bad attitude or whatever. Um, Maybe I take them out in the hallway and I'm like, Hey, something going on. Like a lot of times like kids, they'll just shut down on the day and it, it's not really like the classroom, it's they're like going through something. And even if they don't tell me anything, which a lot of times they won't, at least they know that Miss Beatles like really cares and isn't just expecting me to come in the classroom and be perfect every single day. Um, but it's also like, hey, I can tell you're being kind of rude to your fellow peers. What's going, like, why are you being mean? The other circumstance, like you were saying, the students who were like, I don't care about school, which is a lot of them, I just kind of look at them and I'm like, listen, in every single career that you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do hard stuff you don't want to do. So either you can learn how to do hard stuff now, or you can just never do hard stuff and never grow as a person. And that's really your choice. So like, <laughs> I kind of just, you know, I try to say like, okay, yeah, metaphors and symbols might not matter to you. And you may never really use metaphors and symbols. I think reading and writing is universally like helpful, but symbols and themes or writing a thesis statement sure you never have to do that but every single job has dredge work every single like basically i make it a lesson about your character because Mm -hmm. i think working hard and things you don't want to do says a lot about your character and i just talk and i just tell them i value that and i talk about it and i'm like you you don't have to be the type of person who does hard things but like i would think that you would want to be so
0: yeah okay and do you have any advice or cautions to people who want to get into the field of teaching? Like say they're getting ready to, uh, to pick their university or whatever and they're thinking about doing teaching.
1: Mm, do it. A lot of teachers told me not to do it, but I say do it. And like all my high school teachers were like, don't do this job. <laughs> I say do it. And I say work with high school students outside of the classroom before you teach. Like I worked at a camp or... Um, like learn how to do fun things with students, um, because I think it'll relax you in the classroom and you'll like connect with them better.
0: Okay. Also, I kind of had a curious question that should have probably been addressed at the very beginning, but do you do any like extracurricular, do you do coaching or anything like that? I know a lot of teachers do.
1: Yeah. So this year I sponsored the dance team. (laughs) So they like dance at halftime, the basketball games and That's kind of like my main thing right now. Um, I'll probably eventually do some kind of like coaching, but this is like my first year at this school, so I haven't gotten involved in too many things, but I definitely think you should get involved in other things Mm -hmm. other than just teaching so you can know your students better.
0: So you think that helps a lot just to have like a a different face for your students than they're normally seeing?
1: Mm -hmm. It's tough, but it's worth it.
0: I know major max, uh, generally at smaller schools, you're going to be involved with a lot more extracurricular things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was true for you at the private place too.
1: Yeah. 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 They would have had me like coaching everything probably by the end of my career. Like, uh, (laughs) and I don't even know how to coach anything. So, um, (laughs) but even while I was there, like, yeah, there was just always events, always things They because they don't have like other people to take care of it. You're the Mm. person to take care of it. So it's a lot of responsibility to work at a private school.
0: Yeah. And like we said earlier, a lot of the private institutions, even though they take, you know, tuition, they're kind of a lot of times less funded than the public schools. So they're kinda of, in a way trying to cut corners and be like, Well, we don't need a you know, non teacher pay them a whole nother salary to do this job when we can just exactly. get, you know, one or two teachers to split it.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
0: Okay. Um let me see do I have any more? Okay, what As a final piece of advice, once they're already in the field, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but what do you think is their best way to advance, either in pay or just in how good of a teacher you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, education, more education, unfortunately, is really the only, like, with public schools, you're, yeah, you're legitimately on a pay grade. You can look up every, you can literally look up Georgia pay for teachers and know how much people are paid based on their degree and years of experience so yeah get more degrees
0: i think you'd be interested once i drop all these episodes and everything if you listen to major max i did not realize how many degrees he had or how much schooling he had
1: oh because i'm very interested yeah he um i do remember him getting like a master's or doctorate or something when when he was my teacher um, cause I remember him being like, I'm in UGA online classes right now. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. Like, and
0: yeah. then I
1: understood it. Cause last year I had students and they were like, I have to write this paper. And I'm like, really? I have to write three papers and grade all of your papers this week. So I really just like, don't want to hear it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you'll be really interested to listen to that one. Um, I think that basically covers any of my questions. Do you have anything else you want to add to the interview or anything like that?
1: No, thanks for asking me to do this. It was fun.
0: Oh No problem. I think it was a great perspective to have. Uh, yeah. One last question. Do you think, uh, your homeschooling adds any, anything into your teaching style?
1: Mm, definitely. I loved like the freedom and being able to work at my own pace and I'm, I'm really big into choice and I'm mm. I'm big into choice as a teacher as well. Like being able to choose what books we read or I get them to vote on things all the time. I'm like, do y'all want to do this or should we do something else? Um, Cause so I want them to be involved in their education and making, cause later in life you're, you choose what you learn. Like, so I want them to practice doing that a little bit. And I felt that when I was homeschooled. So yeah, I think it does affect, it does affect right. my perspective.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for agreeing to do the interview. I think it was uh, it was a great interview. I think people will be really interested to hear what you have to say.
1: Thanks. Well, thanks for calling in.